All right, welcome to the Make America Garrett Again podcast, your cure for the mainstream media. This show is your safe space to talk about persuasion, politics, and the effect they have on your life and liberty. Welcome back for another episode. This is kind of a special edition. I'm kind of rushing this one in a little bit, but I wanted to make sure that I talked about this before we got to the election. So uh, I am recording this on Saturday, October 31st. Uh, The election is going to be Tuesday, and we're going to find out who's going to win. Is it going to be Donald Trump? Is it going to be Joe Biden, Joe Jorgensen, Howie Hawkins? Is Kanye West going to slip in there? Who knows? But we're going to find out and we're going to talk about it. But I wanted to make sure that I took a few minutes here to talk about voting and kind of what it does to you and why I am no longer interested in it. Uh, And I also got an email sent to me this weekend and wanted to make sure that I answered that email. I do also want to let you know I recorded an episode on trust busting and I've got that recorded. um, But just like the last episode on the vaccines, I recorded it in my car while I was sick. So there's a lot of coughing and stuff and I need to go into that and make sure that I edit those things out and make it at least somewhat presentable for you. But just so you know, that's recorded and I've got to just get it ready to go. And it may not sound as good as my normal studio setup, but it is ready and we're going to get that out here pretty soon. But first off, I wanted to be able to make sure that you were able to hear this before the election. So we're going to talk about voting. And I want to start off with this email that was sent to me by a listener. It says, Where do you stand on conservatives making it increasingly harder for people to vote in certain states by closing polling places and rearranging voting districts? Also, what about Democrats claiming that mail-in voting is completely fraud-proof? So, let's start with uh, addressing the second question. So, Democrats are trying to claim that mail-in voting is completely fraud-proof, it's completely safe, you know, everybody should vote absentee, mail-in, vote, do whatever you can. Why is there such a big push for this? And I'm going to lump this in with also just the the push to get people to vote in general, because this election, more than any other election we've seen everywhere you go, people are trying to get you to vote. There are signs on the side of the road that tell you to get your voice heard. There are commercials on the radio telling you it doesn't matter who you vote for. Um, just make sure that you vote. Um, every single Facebook post that mentions voting has a little box underneath it to make sure that you get accurate information about voting and that you can make sure that you give them your address and they can tell you the right place to vote. I got on Spotify And all I want to do is turn on my Spotify and listen to Huey Lewis and the news. And instead, I get a little box that pops up making sure that I'm ready to vote and that I can make my voice heard. And um, I got to be honest with you, it's absolutely driving me crazy. But the question here would be, why are they so intent on getting you to vote? Because why is it so important that so many people vote when it would make a lot more sense if uh, you only, you know, try to get the right people to vote, right? You know, make sure if you're going to vote for Joe Biden, make sure you get out there and do it on Tuesday. But by the way, you know, Donald Trump voters can vote on Wednesday and, you know, make sure that we don't get them out to vote or anything like that. No, instead, they try to tell everybody to vote. Everybody needs to get their voice heard. Everybody needs to participate in democracy. Why are they doing that? Well, and, and I promise this ties in with your question about mail-in voting. Um, the more people that vote, the more likely it is that the Democrat is going to win that election. When it comes to people in general, when you're just looking at the pure numbers, there are more people who are sympathetic to Democrats than there are people who side with the Republicans. And um, I think there are several reasons for that. I think that when we're younger, we tend to lean more to the left and uh, we're more open to those kind of things where you want to make sure that everything in the world can be fixed, that everybody has access to healthcare and everybody has access to 
uh, money and good jobs and higher wages because you know you're you're poorer and you're more open to those types of things. Whereas as you get older and you start to make a little bit more money you become more conservative, I think, and you tend to want to protect what's yours and you tend to see what you've worked to earn and you feel like other people don't necessarily deserve as big a portion of that. And um, I think that happens to all of us on a certain scale. And you may still, you know, you may be a lifelong Democrat or you may be a lifelong conservative, but I think that as far as, you know, kind of small changes are concerned and a lot of people who fall more to the middle you may, you know, grow up being just left of center and, you know, as you get older, you're going to move a little bit to the right of center. Or, you know, if you move kind of far left, you may move a little bit closer just to the center. And of course, that doesn't apply to everybody. Not everybody's going to be the same. But generally, as you get older, you do get a little bit more conservative. So when you're looking at young people, it may be harder to vote when you're young. You may not know as much about the elections. You may not know when they are. You may not be as interested in following them. Um, you may also just not have as much money, and it may be hard for you to have the transportation to get there on time. Um, if you're working a job and you're working day shift or afternoon shift, you may not be able to you know, comfortably get to the polls at the right amount of time because you've got work in the middle of the day um, where other people, especially older people, you know, if you're retired or anything like that, you've got all day to go to the polls and make sure that, that you can make that happen. So what the, the Democrats and what the left is doing is they're trying to encourage as many people to vote as possible. And they want to make it easier for all of those people to vote because they know that if they can get more people to turn out to vote, that they are going to do better in that election. So it is well worth the risk for them to possibly tack on a few uh, Republican votes who are going to vote against them. But they're also going to get a lot more and a lot bigger payoff because a lot more of those people are going to come in and vote for the Democratic side of things. And um, the truth is that when you look at it just on the base, if you are an uninterested voter, if you're an uninformed voter, and I don't say that uh, uninformed in a, in a bad way, some people just aren't interested in politics. There are things that I'm not interested in. Look, I don't watch much baseball. So if you told me that one baseball team was better than the other... I would probably be willing to take your word for it. And if you made a, a quick pitch to me that this pitcher is better than this other pitcher, um, I'm going to tend to believe you because I don't know much about it and I'm willing to take your word for it if you can make a decent pitch. And I think in the same way, the Democrats are in a much better position to make a quick pitch to someone who's not interested or not informed about politics. The Democrats say uh, that they want to raise wages for everyone. The Democrats say that they want to end racism all across the board, and we're going to stop racism. Uh, the Democrats want to make sure that everybody gets health care um, because everybody needs health care. And if you are telling me, if I'm, if I'm not interested in politics and I don't know much about this, and you're telling me that one party is saying that they want to end racism for everybody, and the other party wants to argue about you know, whether something is actually racist or not, or even argue over what the definition of racist is, uh, I'm easily going to side with the people who are going to end racism, right? We don't like racism. We like healthcare. We like higher wages. You know, let's go for those things. And so the Democrats are at a serious advantage with the things that they want to do as planks on their platform. And then, of course, as you know, if you're more interested in politics and you listen to a show like mine or, you know, you look into any of these things on your own, if we're being honest, we say, well, yeah, most of the issues are more complicated than that. You know, you got to ask the question, is raising wages, is that going to cause more people to lose their jobs and get laid off? Is raising wages going to raise prices? You know, is, is giving health care to everybody going to lower the quality of health care that's available out there? These are all complicated questions, but when you're just trying to make a quick decision, especially to somebody 
who's not interested in getting into the weeds on this and really, you know, digging into the hard stuff about it, then of course, you know, we're going to go with the Democrats because the things that they say they want to do sound like good things that we would like to do. So the Democrats are at a serious advantage with that. And so they want to make sure that it is easier for people to vote. And so mail-in voting is another way that makes that really simple. You know, once more, if you have a job or you have a busy schedule or you have kids and no child care, it may be difficult for you to get out to the polls and put in your ballot. But if you can mail in your ballot, if they do the mail-in voting or the absentee voting or anything like that, and they, they push that forward, then suddenly you've got a lot more time. You've got several weeks where you can carve out a few minutes to make sure that you have your ballot, that you fill it out correctly, you vote for the person that you want to vote for, and then you, you mail it in and it's done. Uh, and you don't have to make sure that it just gets done on this one particular Tuesday, which is you know also a weekday when most of us have to work and have doctor's appointments and all the other things that we have to do. So they want to make it easier so that they can get as many people to vote as possible. And that's really important to them. And um, this was a problem that they had in the 2016 election. I mean, I think voter turnout is ultimately, even though there was a lot of voter turnout, and I think it was there was more turnout than there had been in, in the last several elections, that was ultimately the reason why the Democrats lost. And um, we we know that they messed with the polls. We found out later on in the, the DNC leaked emails that they were skewing the polls a little bit. And kind of what the Democrats were wanting to do in the 2016 election was they were wanting to show if the polls showed that Donald Trump was way, way, way far behind Hillary in the polling, then that would tell the Trump voters that he had no chance and that there was no sense in them going out and voting for him because Hillary already had it in the bag. But instead what happened was this backfired on them because not a lot of people were excited about voting for Hillary while a lot of people were excited about voting for Trump. And so the people that thought Hillary was going to win anyway, and they they liked her, but they, they knew she was going to win anyway because she was so far ahead in the polls, they just stayed home and they didn't vote for her. Meanwhile, all of these people who were excited about Trump absolutely ran to the polls and they voted for him anyway because they were excited to do so. And then those votes roll in and lo and behold, Trump actually manages to win the thing. And of course, there's always going to be complaints that, you know, he did lose the popular vote by like two million or two and a half million votes, something like that. But uh, everybody knew the rules going into that. Hillary Clinton knew that she needed the most votes from the Electoral College to win. They all knew that that was how it was going to work. So, you know, you can complain that it's not fair. You can complain that it's wrong, but they knew the rules going into that and their campaign strategists knew going into that how many states they needed to win and that that's what they were the most concerned about winning and ultimately Hillary didn't. So Democrats want people to mail in their ballots and get as many people to mail in as possible so that they can get as many votes as possible so that hopefully they can win. But Donald Trump and plenty of other people are concerned about the security of this. You know, do we know that these are good ballots? Do we know that the people filling out the ballots really are the people who are supposed to be voting? That they really are the registered voters or are, you know, people going to be stealing ballots and voting for the other team? Um, ultimately, I am not terribly, terribly concerned about a lot of voter fraud. This has been something that's been tossed around a lot and both parties accuse the other party of it pretty often. And, um, you know, there's always kind of the ongoing joke that people, um, may vote Republican for life, but then once they die, you know, someone's going to vote Democrat in their name. And that's, you know, you, once you're dead, you turn into a Democrat voter or whatever those kind of things are. And while we certainly see those things sometimes when it comes to the scale of a presidential election, where, uh, once again, I think, you know, with Donald Trump and Hillary, uh, it was like, you know, 65 million votes to 62 million votes or something like that. And so when you're looking at that kind of scale, um, I just don't think that you're going to be able to pull off 3 million or 5 million of these uh, fraudulent ballots or that kind of thing. Um, I will say that mail-in voting, 
it is definitely going to be more of a risk for that kind of fraud. I can tell you, I lived at my house for um, several, several years now. I'm, I'm going on a decade at this point. And I got ballot applications for the people who lived at my house before me in the mail this year. And so I didn't open their mail. I didn't look to see what it was or how hard it would have been to do. But I can see just from where I'm sitting at that instead of just voting for myself, I could have possibly voted for myself and for two other people, giving myself three votes instead of one, you know, if I was really interested in trying to pull something like that off. Now, again, I don't know how hard it would have been. I'm not even voting myself, as you're going to find out in this episode. But it certainly seems that it would be much easier and much more possible to, you know, kind of sneak some of those things through or register for somebody else. Now, the risk that you're taking when you do that is you've got to hope that you're voting for someone who is not going to be voting on their own in person. Because if you send a ballot in and then that same person shows up to the poll with their ID and whatever and they try to vote for themselves, then it's going to be obvious that one of those ballots was wrong. And, and that's going to make it a lot more easier to get caught. So you're definitely taking a risk by doing that. And again, I don't think you're going to be able to pull that off on such a big scale. But ultimately, the mail-in voting thing is just an attempt from the Democrats to get as many people voting as possible because the more people that vote, the, the better they're going to do in that election. And um, I think that's the main thing going into this 2020 election that the Democrats have done so well is they've they've done a good job of getting every single corporation that you've ever heard of to encourage people to go out and vote and make people think that it's cool to vote. And of course, um, for a while, we've been doing this sticker thing, but everybody's going to wear their I voted sticker like a badge of honor. And that's going to be kind of the cool thing that encourages more people to vote. And so that's going to be something that is really going to help the Democrats in this election. I've said um, for the past couple of years, I've said that Donald Trump is is going to win easily in 2020. And this, I think, is the biggest challenge to his reelection is um, the fact that they've done such a good job of getting people to get out and vote early and mail in ballots and just encouraging people to vote in general and making it kind of popular to do that. And that's going to really give him a run for his money. I still think Trump's going to going to squeeze through, but the Democrats did a great job by trying to get so many people to vote in this election. That's definitely going to help them and definitely going to make them much more competitive in this election. So, um, is it fraud proof? I don't think that it's fraud proof, but I also don't know that you are going to be able to pull it off on such a scale that it makes a difference. Um, you know, we've seen before people, you know, putting in fraudulent votes, faking ballots and that kind of thing. But a lot of the numbers I've always seen have been something like, you know, 10 or 20 ballots or something like that, or even just a couple of hundred ballots. And those kind of things don't really change elections nearly as much as social media campaigns. And um, there was an episode of Tom Woods where he interviewed a guy where they were rearranging the Google search results to change the results in elections. And you can see how it's much easier to manipulate people and it's much easier to use the media to mani manipulate the narrative and change the story and, and direct people in the way that you want them to act than it is to go in and, and manipulate those ballots. It's just going to be much easier to, to use psychology instead of some sort of conspiracy when it comes to that kind of thing. And then um, going to the, his other question, where do you stand on conservatives making it increasingly harder for people to vote in certain states by closing polling places and rearranging voting districts? So uh, I, I need to be clear with you here. Elections aren't my biggest area of interest. And so I don't know as much about elections as I might know about a lot of other things. So I'm sure that when I answer this, there are going to be layers of this that I'm missing. And if there's something big that I'm missing that you want to point out to me, feel free to write in and let me know um, if there's something else I should be covering and, and talking about. And maybe there's we should go a little bit deeper into this. But 
from what I see, because we definitely see that um, the reputation is that the Republicans try to cheat a little bit when it comes to elections and that they are do a lot more gerrymandering and they do, a, you know, redraw the districts and that they try to keep people from voting and that they move these polling places around to make it harder for people to vote, especially for minorities and that kind of thing. And we see that happening a lot. And ultimately, I think what's happening here is if you go back to the way that this country was designed, this country is a democratic republic. Not a republican democracy, but a democratic republic. That, that democratic is just a modifier on that. That it's just a small part of it, but that ultimately we are a republic. And of course, democracy means that it's ruled by the voters. It's ruled by the majority. The 50.1% rules over the 49.9%. That's how democracy works. It's ultimately just mob rule. Whereas a republic is ruled by the law and that the law is the power that's in charge and we all follow the law and throwing in a little bit of democracy to, to kind of help us change the law if it needs to be, because of course times change and people change and situations change. And sometimes we do know that the law needs to be changed up a little bit, but ultimately this country was a Republic and the, the voting was secondary to the rule of law and to the Liberty that belonged to everyone in it. And, and the, the people that founded this country were very aware that, you know, democracy was, was kind of scary. That democracy could very easily be misused because all you had to do was throw people into a frenzy and they'll vote for whatever you want. You know, the Germans supported Hitler and the Nazi party because they were going in with a very popular message and they, they managed to create an enemy and we need to, to route out these enemies and get rid of these people. And, and people fell in line right behind that because they felt that they were being threatened. And he was able to convince the the 51% or, you know, whatever majority it was to go along with it. And so anybody else in the way of that just got, just got completely run over. And that's something that the founders of this country knew was possible and they wanted to avoid. So they wanted to make sure that we were ruled by law instead. However, as things have changed, our country has become more and more and more democratic. And we've given more and more people the right to vote. And we've made sure that, you know, it, it's viewed as a civic duty and that you are going in and voting because you are important and you need your voice to be heard. And on one hand, that's certainly uh, could be seen as a good thing because you do have people like women and minorities and poor people and all kinds of people who would have never been allowed to vote in the first place to have a say in how the government of this country is run. On the other hand, that also opens up a lot more opportunity for people who are ill-informed or misinformed, uh, for people who are able to do these kind of populist-type causes where you can convince them that there is some other enemy against them and that you are going to save these people and it's us versus them and, and democracy puts us into a very us versus them kind of mode because it's it's you know up to us to make sure that we outvote the other people um, to show that our side is better and to make sure that we gain control. And so it opens up a whole lot of other doors that can be very dangerous and can make politics very messy, uh, whereas it, it may not have been if so many people weren't involved in these processes. And so ultimately, I think democracy is a very dangerous way to run things. And there are a lot of, there's a lot of potential there for things to get out of hand and for bad, bad things to happen just because you can get all the, the right people angry at the right time. But at the same time, that ultimately just wasn't the way that the country was meant to be run. And so I think what happens here is, as I said, addressing the last question, that when it comes to democracy, 
the Democrats certainly have a leg up when it comes to the persuasion and the marketing angle of the things that they're doing. And so the best thing that the Republican Party can do is they can try to manipulate the law. They can try to manipulate the processes to hopefully push back a little bit against the incredible amount of momentum that the Democrats are gaining as the years go on. And so when it comes to them rearranging voting districts and gerrymandering and moving polling places to try to get less people to vote, it's definitely um, a kind of a slimy move, and it's definitely something that, that don't think is necessarily fair. Um, but at the same time, you've got to see that they are motivated because they see the way that this country is being run is sliding more and more away from a rule of law and more toward a majority rule. And so what they're doing is they're trying to use what little bit of law that they have left to give themselves an advantage in these elections and to slow down that slide from the republic, which we started as, to this pure democracy, um, which people seem to want now. And so, you know, I don't want to sound like I endorse it, and I think that it's a good thing. I don't want to say that I would do the same thing if I were in power, uh, but I do want to make it clear that that is the best method that they have to try to kind of slow this stuff down and to try to hold on to some of the power that they have. And, um, and that power has been a recurring theme on the show. And one of the things that we've talked about, and when people have it, they, they don't want to lose it and they're going to do anything they can to gain more of it. So ultimately, you know, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm for or against it. Um, because I, I don't really have a strong opinion on it, but I can definitely see why they're doing it. And I guess when it comes down to it, it's just a, um, it's kind of a slimy solution to a, a slimy sort of problem that they're just doing the best they can um, to try to hold their power and to try to kind of use, um, I guess, to use a republic to do that in, in a sense, to keep us from sliding from a republic to a, a pure democracy, which I'm not a big fan of. And that was something that uh, Brian McClanahan brought up in one of his most recent episodes. I'll try to remember to post a link to that in the show notes if you want to listen to it. Um, but he's talked about how we've moved away from this republic to more of a democracy. And you can find things in American history where um, there was a bill that they all wanted to pass you know, that had overwhelming support as to, you know, we think that this thing would be helpful or would be useful or would be good. But the question is, does the constitution allow us to do it? And they used to have strong, strong debates about these things and they were intense. And you fast forward now to the 21st century and they don't debate whether or not they have the authority granted to them by the constitution to pass these laws. Instead, they spend all their time debating, is this thing going to work? Do we have enough votes to pass it? Are our voters going to be happy with it? And the only time that the Constitution is brought up, like I mentioned just a few episodes ago, is when you're trying to stop the other party from doing what they want to do. But if you're doing what you want to do, then the Constitution's just in the way, and you can hopefully uh, come up with some kind of excuse to explain it away. The thing that's so important about that, the thing that we don't want to miss here, is that if you are a republic, if we are all ruled by the same law, then it makes it pretty easy for us to move forward and learn how to live alongside each other. But when we switch to a democracy, suddenly the focus changes from not what, what am I allowed to do under the law, but instead, what can I do to change the law to suit me, to help me? to focus on my interests. And very quickly, this devolves 
into how do I find more people like me to band together with to make sure that we can all get our interests met. And when people start banding together, they start looking at other people who are different from them. And they start to realize that those people who are different, who are starting to band together, that those people are a threat to me and to our people. And so democracy starts to divide us in a way that living under the law never did. And so suddenly, we're most interested in what's going to help our group succeed. And that causes us to look at the other groups and other people as enemies. And that opens up the door for the right leader to come along and hopefully choose the right enemy to unite the most people against that enemy. Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party did an excellent job at coming into Germany and telling Germans that they were being kept down by all kinds of other groups of people. That they were going to make Germany great, but that those people had to take pride in their group and in their country, and that they needed to punish and push out any other group that may have stood in their way. And it worked. It absolutely worked. And that is a feature of democracy. And so as the years have gone by and we've embraced democracy more than we've embraced the republic, more than we've embraced the law, people will continue to become more and more and more divided. You know, in Thaddeus Russell's book, uh, Renegade History of the United States, he talked about how in colonial America, people partied a lot. There was a lot of drinking. There was a lot of sleeping around. Um, you could go to whorehouses. You could go to bars anytime you wanted. And that, that Benjamin Franklin and a lot of those types of people were, were very frustrated by this because the, the people weren't living their lives in a, in a useful, meaningful way, and they weren't reading and learning. Um, instead, they, they did a lot of partying, and they did a lot of lounging around. And the way that Thaddeus Russell describes it is that they start this idea of leaving their monarchy to start this democracy because if they instate a democracy, if they can get these people to take ownership of their own laws and their own political processes, then they won't have so much time to to get drunk and to sleep around and to do all of these things. But instead, they'll have to be upstanding citizens, that they'll have to make themselves someone that they feel is worth choosing their own leaders. And if they can get them to straighten up and they can get them to give up this life of um, this, you know, wasteful life of partying instead that they can control them and get them to live in a more moral and upstanding way, the way that the way that Franklin wanted them to live and some of these other uh, founding fathers, that they could kind of control those people and get them to act the way that they wanted to act. And what they were hoping is that if they could convince people to buy into democracy then they wouldn't have so much time to party and to lay around and to do all of these things that they were doing before, but instead that they would take some responsibility for themselves, that they would work harder, that they would focus more on being the types of people who were willing uh, to be upstanding citizens because their democracy depended on it. They had to be good citizens and good voters. And that this was a way to kind of control the way that they were acting a little bit. And of course, we can all talk about one way or the other about what morals should be and the best way to live life. But the idea was that this that democracy was used not so much to make sure that every voice was heard, but instead to just try to change the way that people lived a little bit. And as this article that I'll put in the show notes from the American Conservative is pointing out, as we've gone on, and as our democracy has grown, 
And we gave women the right to vote. And we made sure that minorities had the right to vote. That it hasn't made our country a more fair place. It hasn't helped us hold to the Constitution or hold to the law, but instead, it's made us more divided than ever. It's given us more enemies to vote against. And so if your goal is to to have a cohesive country, if your goal is to have people who agree about what the law is, then the last thing you should want is to have democracy pitting them against each other. This article has a quote by country singer Merle Haggard. He says, In 1960, when I came out of prison as an ex-convict, I had more freedom under parolee supervision than there's available to an average citizen in America right now. God Almighty, what have we done to each other? The article goes on to say, Politicians talk as if voting magically protects the rights of everyone within a 50-mile radius of the polling booth. Tell that fable to Americans who voted for George W. Bush in 2000 because he promised a more humble foreign policy. Or to Americans who voted for Barack Obama in 2008 because he promised to restore civil liberties. And to Americans who voted for Trump because he promised to drain the swamp in Washington. Ultimately, what that brings us to is that the more we vote and the harder we vote and the more people we get to vote doesn't really seem to change the outcomes in Washington at all. And that it's common knowledge that, that politicians lie. That's almost become you know somewhat of a cliche, but it's the truth. Looking at what our last three presidents ran on and what actually happened once they took office. And one of the other problems with democracy is there's no real way to hold politicians accountable when they make mistakes like this. The worst thing that can happen to them is that they lose their job in another couple of years. You're looking at these kind of lockdowns, a lot of these governors aren't up for re-election until 2022. It'll be two years past the time that the lockdown started. Will people still be upset enough to make them lose their job over it? And so I wanted to just kind of wrap this up by talking about a couple of the things that voting does to you, not what it does to the guy that you voted for or the guy that you voted against or to the other party. You know, we know plenty of people are are voting for Donald Trump to, to own the libs or whatever, but what does it do not to them, but to you? Well, the first thing it does is it clouds your judgment. Uh, Scott Adams talked in the book, Win Bigley, about how he doesn't vote because it skews his judgment on candidates. We're kind of held into this weird little human thing where we want to think that we are rational and we want to think that we're smart. So if you give your vote for a candidate and that candidate turns out to not be the best candidate, you're still going to try to find ways to rationalize the reasons that you voted for them. And you're going to try to rationalize the things that they do and you're going to give them much more of a pass because... To admit that they have been bad in office is going to also be uh, admitting that you made a bad choice, and that's going to be very difficult for us to overcome. And sometimes we can overcome it. Sometimes these things happen. Um, Sometimes people say, I voted for this guy. I screwed up, and I'm going to go vote him out the next time. Yes, that can happen, but it can also really skew your judgment when it comes to those kind of things. So um, that's the first thing it does, and that's one of the reasons that um, with me running this show, one of the reasons that I don't vote is I want to have the best judgment and I want to be as fair as possible, and uh, I've been complimented on that before about how I'm able to lay things out in a fair and even manner, and if I were just pulling for one party or the other, pulling for one candidate or the other, that wouldn't happen as well. And so even if you don't have a podcast, even if you don't run a show and have people that listen to you talk about these kind of things, it can still be important for your judgment and for you know, your rationality to not give into those kind of things by voting. 
Another thing that voting does, as I've said, is it divides us. It causes us to look at other people, to look at them as other groups that threaten our political agenda. And so people that you might otherwise get along with, people that you otherwise may not even be worried about, may not even pay attention to, suddenly become a threat to you because you have aligned yourself with a group that is opposed to this other group. One of the other things that voting does, uh, as I mentioned in the Antifa and Black Lives Matter episode, is it, it brings you into this group and it brings you in and makes you part of this program that we call politics, that we call our government. And when you are in that group, you are far more likely to support that group because you're not going to be part of a group that you don't like, right? And so that's going to pull you in to support more of those things. And that's going to pull you into more of that idea that, that this is a good system that we have here. The democracy is a great thing and that we want to make sure that we buy into it. And that, you know, the only thing that we can do is just, we just need to do a little bit better next time. You know, maybe we didn't get the right guy in office this time, but four years from now, we're going to get it right. And by pulling you into that system, it helps you get into that way of thinking. That there's nothing wrong with the system. There's nothing wrong with the government. There's nothing wrong with the power and corruption that's involved in it. But it's just this one particular guy that's bad. And if we can vote in the other guy, it will be fine. And so you keep putting your hope in that. And you keep putting your hope in what's going to happen in the next election in four years. Instead of doing what you can do now to change your life and to change your world and to change your worldview. And with that, it brings along what is called the status quo bias. And the first place that I really learned about this was in the book called um, The Problem of Political Authority by Michael Humer. Um, I'm sure it's probably somewhere else too, but he was just kind of the, the guy that introduced it to me. Um, but the status quo bias just basically means that people will always give more credit to the way that things are now, the way that things have always been, than any potential new idea. That when you mention that you could do things differently People say, but what about this problem? What about this problem? And if you point out the problems that we have in the current system, they'll simply write those off. And they say, yeah, well, they're problems, but it's still a good system. But then in the slightest problem that they can find with your system, that makes it worth it to them to just throw your whole theory out completely. And so continuing to vote, continuing to buy into that causes you to also continue to buy into this status quo bias to make you feel like there's nothing else that you can do to change things but to hopefully vote a little bit better the next time and to maybe be a little bit more active in your party the next time. Maybe canvas a little bit further, knock on more doors, give a little bit more money next time, and maybe that's what will really change things. And ultimately, what I would encourage you to do is to break free of that. You don't owe these politicians your emotion. You don't owe them your time. You only need to give them as much money as you have to to keep from getting arrested. But the rest of your time should be spent making your life better, doing things in your life that you enjoy, that make you happy, that make you a better person, that make your family stronger. So if none of these politicians represent your views, if none of them work for your interests, not your party's interests, not your group's interests, but your interests, if they're not doing anything for you, then you don't owe them a vote at the ballot box. You don't have to participate in this system just because people try to guilt you into it. Just because you get a little voting info box under every single post that you see on Facebook. 
Instead, go do something different. Go do something productive. Go live your life and enjoy it. And know that you are even more free, not because you can vote, but because you can abstain from voting. So I titled this episode, Why I Kissed Voting Goodbye, kind of mimicking uh, a book that was uh, going around a lot of churches and youth groups and, and given to a lot of teenagers in like the mid to late 90s. And it was called Why I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't even read this book, but I've heard it mentioned enough and I'm kind of familiar with, with what it is. And basically the premise of the book is that people spend a lot of emotional energy and they, they pick up a lot of baggage through this kind of serial dating that a lot of people do when they're teenagers and young adults and that they um, you know waste a lot of time because you date somebody and you kind of give your heart over to somebody and then your heart gets broken and then you go to somebody different and then they break your heart and then you go to somebody different and then you break up with them and that by the time you, you get married and the time that you meet this spouse that you want to spend your whole life with, that you've already been through a lot and that you've already sort of trained yourself to fail and that in that way, people are starting these marriages in a very unhealthy manner because they've already trained themselves to be in other unhealthy relationships and, and that have always ended, you know, in a breakup. And so that you're kind of setting yourself up for breakup already. And um, funny enough, uh, eventually the, the guy that wrote the book kind of came in later on and said that he kind of changed his mind on this and that maybe this wasn't the best idea. And he kind of apologized to anybody who he may have hurt um, with giving this bad advice. And so I thought that ultimately that would be the most fitting way to title this episode that look i have started out as someone who was not necessarily politically interested as i moved to become more politically interested i started researching every single candidate i would look up every person on my ballot and every issue and i would spend a lot of time delving through that and trying to find the best person to vote for and you know whether they were a republican or a democrat finding the ones that was closest to my ideals and the ones who were absolute deal breakers that you know if you support this i'm absolutely not going to support this person and then i moved on to just voting on the issues and i wouldn't vote for candidates but i would just you know mostly vote against the levies and that kind of thing so that there were no new taxes added on. And now that I've come to this point, and now that I've looked at uh, what I believe, you know, democracy does to us as a people, and what I believe that it does to us on a personal level, the way that it changes your mind and the way that it changes the way that you look at things, I've ultimately come to the conclusion that voting is a waste of time, that we don't need to bother with it, that it's not going to change anything, that no presidential election has ever come down to one vote. That your vote does not make a difference in Washington, but it does make a difference in your home and in your head and in your heart. And in that sense, I think it's best that we avoid it. I think it's best that we walk away from it, that we kiss voting goodbye. And just like the author of that book, if I change my mind on down the line, I'll own it. And I will happily admit that I'm wrong and that maybe we should try to vote our way out of this. But right now, I just don't see it. And I wanted to be as honest as possible with you because I think that I'm going into this election so much happier and so much less stressed knowing that whatever happens on Tuesday wasn't my fault and I'm going to be all right.
So with that being said, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, I will do my best to get the trust busting episode out here pretty soon. Like I mentioned earlier, it's already been recorded. The sound quality is not as good. I did it in my car, but uh, I'll get that out for you soon. But I wanted to make sure I got this one out before the election so that you could hopefully listen to it, maybe on the way to the poll booth and uh, maybe you'll hear it and turn around and go right back the other way. Or if not, continue to vote. Tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, We're still on the same team. We're still friends. And I'm thrilled that you were listening to the show and that you are still sharing it with friends and that this thing is continuing to grow with every episode. And I'm going to do my best to put episodes out a little bit more regularly for you. But uh, with that being said, thank you so much. And uh, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter, Garrett again, uh, facebook.com slash Garrett again, or on email, Garrett again at pm.me. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay kind, stay vigilant, stay free. Get out of here. Bye.